Welcome to The Compass, the weekly podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our series called From Rags to Riches, taken from the pages of the Letter to the Ephesians. Do you live in Northwest Arkansas and need a church home? Let me take this opportunity to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 1030 a.m. at 1410 North Porter Road of Fayetteville. If you have any questions about the Word or about our ministry here in Fayetteville, let me encourage you to reach out. You can contact us at info at calvaryfayetteville.com or call us at 479-442-4634. On today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is sharing again from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3-14 through 14, with a message entitled, Count Your Blessings. Let's listen together. So get into this text today, two of the greatest paragraphs in all of God's Word. And I know that I often say that about whatever text I'm reading. Uh, But ever since the Lord called me into the ministry when I was 16 years old, uh, this chapter has been uh, such a blessing to my life. And uh, I've preached from it, I don't know how many times, but many, many times. But as I told you before, uh, if you remember in the Greek language, There is no punctuation. We don't have periods and apostrophes and all of that kind of thing. We don't have the scripture broken up into paragraphs and and even into chapters. Uh, Over the years, uh, the chapters and verses were uh, added in order to make it possible for us to find certain passages, certain verses, and, and able to look them up. And uh, translators uh, did their very best to add the punctuation where it seemed uh, very clear and in some cases not so clear. In fact, you'll find if you were to compare uh, these two paragraphs in Ephesians 1 verses 3 through 14, if you were to compare these in two or three different translations, you may find some punctuation in different places. It does not change the meaning and the inspiration of Scripture for us. But these two long paragraphs, uh, basically uh, in in the uh, Greek, comprise one long sentence of about 202 words. And uh, so it's uh, it's just an amazing uh, bit of, of inspired writing for you and me. We could literally spend the rest of this year in these two paragraphs, verses 3 through 14, and we would only be scratching the surface of what all God has for us here. Uh, But we're going to, in these verses, be reviewing. This is the approach we're taking uh, last Sunday and this Sunday. We are looking and, and seeing what insight we can gain in what it means to be saved what it means to belong to the Lord and to understand the blessings that have come our way. I've referred to this as salvation from start to finish. You heard me mention earlier, it talks about how we were chosen by the Father, how we're redeemed by the Son, how we are sealed with the Spirit, and those are three of the four points uh, that I wish to share. But before we read them, let me remind you of what we had to say last week in our introduction by way of what salvation is. Because if you were to ask five people on the street, what is salvation? 
even what is salvation according to the Bible, you're likely to get at least four or five different answers. So let me give you these six statements. First of all, salvation is not attainment. It's not something you achieve, not something that you can earn or accomplish. It is not attainment. It is atonement. That word means the shedding of blood and the applying of God's blood to our hearts in the same way in the Old Testament that the blood was applied to the altar for the sins of the people over and over and over again, thousands upon thousands of times. Once for all, Hebrews says, Jesus made a sacrifice. He shed his blood. His blood is applied to our hearts. And we have this song that is based on the Old Testament scripture from Exodus where the Lord said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Not meaning to pass us by, but to save us and preserve us from death. It is atonement, not attainment. Number two, it is, a prof- it is not just a profession, but it is a possession. In other words, that uh, we do profess to know Christ, but salvation is more than that. Many people profess Christ, but they don't possess Christ. The Bible talks about having, possessing eternal life. Number three, it is not reformation, it's regeneration. It's not getting rid of all your old bad habits, taking up some good habits, new habits. That might be good, that might be healthy, it might make your family more happy with you. Uh, If some of you would reform some of your ways. I know if I were to reform some of mine, my wife would be happier with me. But salvation is not reformation. It is regeneration. It is to be born again. Because we don't just need to get rid of our bad habits. We need to be born again. We're dead in our sins without Christ. It's not religion. It's redemption. A lot of people have religion. They believe with all their hearts. They don't believe the truth. Most of the people of this world are caught up in bad religion. Bad religion. Be it Islam, be it Buddhism or whatever. By the millions, by the billions, there are people caught up in bad religion that is not based on the truth of God's Word. Even many professing Christians are caught up in bad religion, thinking that being a religious Baptist will save you. But it won't get you any closer to heaven than any of those other religions. It is redemption. It is to be redeemed. We'll talk about that more today in just a moment. It is not instruction. It is illumination. It's not going through classes, as helpful as they may be. It's not going through some kind of confirmation process that may help you understand some fundamentals of the faith. It is illumination. It is having the light of the world, which is Jesus, to bring light to your heart and mind and to drive away the darkness inside all of us that we might receive the light of God's truth and the light which is Jesus Christ. He is the light of the world. And to sum it all up, it's not something you do, but it's trusting in the great thing Jesus has already done for you. So with all that in mind, listen to these words, beginning in Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, 
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, that's Jesus. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thanks be to God for it. And you know what? If that's all that God gave us as his word, it would be sufficient for us to know him and to serve him in this life. Well, Speaking of counting your many blessings, that's what this is. It's just an opportunity to count all the blessings that are recorded for us in this passage. Now, there are four basic points. We covered one of those last week. Lord willing, we'll cover the other three this week. And these are the four. Verses 4 through 6 tell us that He chose us. He chose us. Verses 7 through 10 tell us He redeemed us. He redeemed us. Verses 11 and 12 tell us he gave us an inheritance. And number 4, verses 13 through 14 tells us he sealed us with the Spirit. Now let's take just a moment to review briefly what it means when it says that he chose us. And the verses tell us that he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. So all saved people, all those that will ever be born again, beginning in Adam and Eve's time in the garden to the very last person that will ever come to know Christ uh, at the end of this world, understand that every saved person, first of all, was chosen by God in eternity past, even before the universe was created. Romans chapter 8 uh, talks to us about this and, and describes it in a, in a totally magnificent way. Another great passage, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. Listen to these words. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together. It creates a synergism, good and bad, pleasant and unpleasant. Everything works together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 
And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You have in that passage five, what we like to say, are pearls, like a strand of pearls, talking about how God accomplished his work of salvation in our lives. He foreknew, that means he knew us before we were born, not based on anything we would ever say or do, not based on any good thing he saw in us, but according to his purpose and his glory, he chose to know us even before we were born. So we were foreknown, we were predestined, that means he marked us off, okay? He marked us off as his, and he then called us, this is in time and space as we live our lives in the process of living, he called us, he then justified us, that means declared us innocent of all sins that we were guilty of, and he glorified us, all five of those words, foreknew, predestined, called, justified, glorified, past tense. It was the accomplished in eternity past. It was experienced during the course of our lifetimes and will finally be experienced when we are with the Lord in eternity. Amen? A beautiful strand of pearls describing describing what God has done for us. Now someone might ask, what does my saying yes to God and receiving Christ and putting my faith in Christ, what does that have to do with any of it? It has everything to do with it. You see, there will be no one in heaven that God did not sovereignly choose in eternity past. Likewise, there will be no one in heaven that God that did not choose to believe and follow Christ as their Savior in this life. How do those two go together? That's part of the mystery of God that's beyond my ability to comprehend and understand. God chose us, we choose Him. And in that, that is what it means to be chosen by the Lord. Let's move on to number two. He redeemed us. Look again at verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. We have redemption. What is redemption? Well, the word itself means a deliverance, a deliverance secured by the payment of a ransom. That's why the Bible says also that you were ransomed many times in Scripture. It is the deliverance, the deliverance from sin and death and hell. A deliverance secured by the payment of a ransom. And the Bible said that he lavished the riches of his grace upon us. 
What does it mean to lavish something on somebody? It means to just pile it on. That's what it means. He could have said here, talking about the riches of his grace, which he piled upon us over and over again. But that wouldn't sound very biblical, would it? Lavish sounds better. So what's the idea? Think of the prodigal son. Do you remember that story? You remember how this son that was rebellious against his father, that thought he could live his life his way, and he demanded his inheritance, which, by the way, was unheard of. Basically, when he wanted his inheritance while his father was still alive, he was saying to his father, you are as good as dead to me. I want mine, and I want it now. And amazingly, the father allowed him to have it. In the same way that Adam and Eve has a prodigal son and a prodigal uh, daughter in the garden, basically said to God, I want to go my own way and do my own thing. And amazingly, the father said yes. And so the prodigal son goes and he wastes all of his inheritance in sinful, immoral living. And he'd finally decided, I want to go home. And I'm going to go home with an offer that my father can't refuse. I'm not going to ask him for sonship anymore. I'm going to go back and I'm going to ask just to be made a servant because the servants in my father's house are better than the condition I'm in right now. And so he goes back home and his father sees him a long ways off and his father does everything that a father in that culture would not do. He grabbed the hem of his garment exposing his lily white calf legs and he goes running towards his son because even in that awful condition he recognized him as belonging to his family, as being his son. And when he gets there and the son makes his offer, the father says, no way in the world I want you to come home as a son. And he begins to lavish his love and his mercy and his forgiveness on his son. As he puts a robe on his back, as he puts shoes on his feet, puts a ring on his finger and calls everyone together for a feast. That is what it means to have the grace of God lavished upon you. And Paul says, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, whether you know it or not, whether you appreciate it or not, God has lavished His love and grace on you just like that. Listen to some verses that reinforce this idea that you and I were ransomed. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 Verse 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Listen to me. You are not your own. What does he say? You were bought with a price. God ransomed you. He bought you for himself. So therefore glorify God in your body. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, we read these words. Knowing that you were ransomed, you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. He's talking about sin there, by the way. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish 
or spot. Jesus shed his blood to pay the price for your sin, to ransom you and redeem you. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, John saw the heavens opened, and this is what he saw as he looked into heaven. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men. It is the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. In the words of our Savior himself, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 11 and going through verse 15. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices day after day after day. I added that part. Which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Do you feel perfected? and sanctified right now? Do you? I'm glad you do, Bob, because most Christians don't. We don't feel very perfected. We don't feel very sanctified. We still have trouble with our language. We still have trouble with our attitudes. We still have trouble with the way we think of people. We still have, uh, have temptations to sin in this life. But what did the scripture say? The scripture said by one single offering, he has perfected, past tense, perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And there you have both perspectives. Just like uh, Paul writing to the Ephesians, the author of Hebrews sees the already and the not yet. What is already true and what is being brought to pass. You remember Paul told the Ephesians that we are already in the heavenlies. We are already made complete, made perfect. We're already sanctified. We're already there with the Lord, and we're enjoying the blessings of the what we know now as the not yet. But it is already there. But as we live our lives out, Day by day, moment by moment, year by year, we are going through tests and trials. We're being sanctified. We're becoming more like Christ. He is changing us into the image of Jesus. My friend, if you are today exactly what you were a year ago, 
you're stumbling in your sanctification. You ought to know more scripture. You ought to be walking closer to the Lord. You ought to be more conformed to his image with every year that passes by. That's what it means to become like Christ. And by the way, Ephesians 1 tells us that's what we were chosen for, to become like Jesus. What does the word redeem mean? It means, as we said, a deliverance secured by the payment of a ransom, but it means to buy back something that once belonged to you. We once belonged to the Lord in the way that He created us. But we rebelled and went our own way. And now, through the sacrifice of Christ, He is buying back. He is redeeming those who once, in eternity past, or in the beginning of life, belonged to Him. He is now, in time and space, calling us to Himself, buying us back. In the garden, we belonged to God. Adam and Eve chose to rebel. That was the fall. We know it as the fall. In choosing to rebel, we became fallen humanity. And Jesus said in John chapter 8, you say you belong to God. He's talking to lost people, very religious, but lost people. He said, you don't belong to the Father. He said, your father is the devil. And if you were here today and you were apart from Christ... Your father is the devil. You're spiritually dead. You belong to the enemy. But Jesus paid the price. He came to earth to buy us back, to ransom and to redeem. The price that he paid was his own blood. Now, here's a crucial question. Jesus paid the price for our, to ransom us, to redeem us. Who did he pay the price to? Very quickly, many people think, well, if... The devil is my father. He had to pay the devil. But I want to tell you something. Jesus didn't know the devil anything. Who was the offended party when Adam and Eve sinned? And who is the offended party by our sin? It is a righteous and perfect heavenly father. So Jesus shed his own blood and he paid the price of his blood to the father. Sometime during those, those days in the grave, Jesus took his blood as the great high priest and he went to the altar of heaven and sprinkled that blood on that altar there, paying the price for our sins. And then he came back and he took up his life again before he ascended back to the Father. But he did the work of the great high priest. He paid himself he paid his father for our sin with his own blood. Now, I know that transaction doesn't make a lot of sense to our physical human way of thinking, but that's what was taking place. Jesus, the sacrificial lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, he and only he could pay the price necessary to purchase forgiveness for you and for me. Amen? Hear it again. I'm not sure you did. Jesus was the sacrificial lamb who takes away the sin of the world. He and only he could pay the price necessary for your sin 
and for my sin. It is only through Jesus. That's salvation. That's what it means to be redeemed. That's what it means to be ransomed. Have you been ransomed today? Have you been redeemed? All of that only works if you will surrender and submit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess your sin to Him. Call upon Him for salvation and forgiveness. And then as you do that, and He floods your life with forgiveness, cleansing you of your sins, dressing you like that prodigal son in the robe of His righteousness, putting the ring of adoption on your finger, and putting shoes, the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace on your feet. And then he throws a feast for you, a feast for the ages that's awaiting you when you are called home to heaven. My friend, that's what it means to be redeemed. Have you been redeemed today? I want you to bow your heads with me, please. We're going to stop right there. If you need to talk to someone about that, or you want someone to pray with you about that, you can call on me after these services are over with. I'll be in the entryway. You can call upon Pastor Dan or one of these other folks here. And if they don't know exactly how to help you and pray with you, they'll get you to one of us who will. We're not going to single you out or embarrass you in any way more than anything else. We just want you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and what it means to be ransomed, redeemed. What a blessing that is. Father, we thank you for the redemption that is ours through Jesus. Father, we could have never dreamed it up. We could have never figured it out. We could have never accomplished it in our own strength. Thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. We are all prodigals, one and all. Father, I pray that you would receive us back into your home. And I pray that if there's anyone here under the sound of my voice this morning who does not know you and the free pardon that is offered and is available through you, I pray that today they would surrender in humility their heart and life to you and be saved this day. And what a memorial day that would be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.